stage directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger, and today we're going to continue with my Actors on Actors series. It doesn't have to be Actors on Actors, with interviews with directors and Broadway artists and whatnot with a really, really phenomenal Broadway artist, Danny Gardner. Hi, Danny Gardner. Thank you so Hi. much for being on my podcast. My uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm going to read a little bit of your wonderful bio. Um, Danny's an incredible Broadway performer um, who made his Broadway debut as Lucky in Dames at Sea at the Helen Hayes Theater. Um, he also appeared at Radio City Music Hall as George M. Cohen in the New York Spectacular, starring the Rockettes New York City Christmas Spectacular. Um, he was also seen performing alongside Tommy Toon in Encore's production of Lady Be Good with subsequent album. Um, and you've done a lot of incredible things. You're also a member of the physical comedy theater Parallel Exit, which is where I first met you, that has three Drama Desk nominations. And you were working on a show at Lincoln Center when the whole pandemic hit. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Flying over sunset, the new musical by James Lapine. Yep. And I don't know how into the ballet world you are, but I, I love the ballet world and I've been really inspired by um, Megan Fairchild, who's a principal with city ballet and she's kind of used the, well, she's been on Broadway too, but she's kind of used the pandemic um, as a time to interview everyone she knows in the ballet world. And it's turned in this, into this incredible historical archive with interviews of some people that I don't think there are video archives of. So right. I got kind of inspired and decided to do that in addition to other subjects that I talk about on my podcast and interview some amazing artists because we should have historical archive of all the wonderful artists, especially being very aware of all the tragedies going on in the world and how many people are no longer with us and, and all that. Yeah. So thank That's you. Great. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. And um, I'm excited to chat with you, especially because you have such a wonderful leg in the sort of traditional musical theater world, the musical comedy world and dance and physical comedy and whatnot. And I think especially with so much emphasis on contemporary musical theater um, and you being, you know, you're not 19, but you're a relative youngin, um, but so into the, the golden age stuff. Can you, I guess... Tell me a little bit about your your journey and where you started and how you got so interested in that aspect of musical theater. Uh, well, I started tap dancing when I was five, and um, <laughs> I started tap dancing because uh, I had a lot of energy when I was growing up, and my parents wanted to put me into um, something that would tire me out, basically. But the joke was on them because then they had an energetic five-year-old running around the house with tap shoes on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I stayed with tap dance. I liked that. <clears throat> and I stayed with that and I started taking jazz and ballet and then voice lessons. Um, and I, <clears throat> I just kind of fell into it. I, I think it gave, if I felt like I had a home there, I, um, you know, got the attention that um, people like when they're growing up. And I think I got to express different parts of myself. And, um, you know, I did a lot of community theater and school shows, basically. Um, and then I went to college at Ithaca College for musical theater. And <laughs> I think I really got into the... Well, one of my favorite musicals was... Um, it was the second musical I saw on Broadway. It was Crazy for You. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. It combined... Um, uh, dance, physical comedy, and like old school music that I loved in this wonderfully kind of 
jukebox musical-esque way. I mean, it's based off of um, <laughs> an earlier film that used the, the music of the Gershwins, but Girl Crazy. Crazy, which I have, yeah. I have an NYU story about that that I'll pull out mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, there was something, my, my grandfather really loved jazz music and <laughs> I just, for some reason, took to it. I loved jazz music and I love standards and so crazy for you was kind of my first introduction to how standards could be uh in a musical you know because those those songs weren't specifically written for uh crazy for you um but i thought they were so um uh, years ago when i first saw it i thought they were so beautifully uh interwoven into the story that um i just kind of fell in love with it and i you know when other kids would go home and listen to (laughs) hip-hop i was listening to gershwin um (laughs) And uh, yeah, and so I think I liked all musical theater. You know, I I grew up, um, one of the community theaters I grew up at was called Genesius. Where, and, where did you grow up? Oh, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. And what was your studio? Uh, my studio, it was called Marie Shaw School of Dance. It was a local studio. Um, yeah, I learned a lot there. Um, and uh yeah, and it was funny. The very first time I performed, <clears throat> they uh, the local Jewish community center was putting on Gypsy, mm-hmm. and they needed a Tulsa desperately. And so they called my uh, dance studio and they said, "Do you have any boys that dance?" Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I like played a role in a musical, um, <clears throat> and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that, again, that's kind of an old school musical vibe that you have there. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we did Secret Garden. Uh, we did Rags, which was so fun. Nobody yeah. does Rags anymore. Um, but yeah, I think, but then in college, you know, I, I tried to study everything as they kind of throw at you in college. I think it was only after I really got out of <clears throat> uh, college and I started finding my type mm-hmm. that people were like, oh, you're more golden age, you know, mm-hmm. golden age. It's going to you're going to work in that a lot um, very easily. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of a combination be- between the tap dance, you know, that's kind of older musicals and um, my voice type and the look that I have. I think I kind of fell into doing uh, golden age musicals more so than. Uh, maybe contemporary or like Sondheim or things like that. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I, I always try to push myself to do contemporary stuff to, you know, uh, just recently before the pandemic hit, <clears throat> I was really trying to push myself to uh, add new uh, new musical songs to my book, try to really, um, because I love working on, new musicals there's nothing like creating a role or ad-libbing a line and somebody writing it down and um so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell i guess that's you know how and that- how did you feel when people kind of started typing you in that were you like yes it really matches how i feel about myself or was it more cool i guess i'll go that avenue because it's the path of least resistance I think it was a combination of both because part of me was like, oh, that music really speaks to me. I like old school stuff. I like, you know, but then it was also like, I need to work. So whatever, however they're going to hire me, sure, I'll do it. I think it was only, you know, um, 
That's part of the reasons I kind of get into parallel exit because I think deep inside there is this frustrated artist of like, oh, now I'm known as that. Now I want to do the exact opposite or I want to do something like very different, like clowning, you know, um, or physical comedy or stuff. So I feel like it's always a push and pull. I'll have like two shows where it's golden, golden age classic. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that for the next six months. And I try to do other things. It's not always successful because, you know, you got to eat and you got to, you know, get your health insurance and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it's always finding that pendulum of the internal artist of trying to find, you know, it's always the, the combination of um, commerce and art that I think, especially musical theater is always walks, walks that edge. What is it about golden age musicals and that kind of music that speaks to you so deeply that you really related to as opposed to other kinds of performing or music or whatnot? I think when I was growing up, especially because I like, I love contemporary musical theater. I love Sondheim. I love all of it. But I think when I first started getting into it, um, when I was very young, I think almost, this is going to seem harsh, but almost the predictability of how songs are set up, A-A-B-A, you know, that mm -hmm. jazz standard kind of thing. And because it was so ingratiated into my childhood with my grandparents, um, they loved to watch movie musicals. And so my parents, at least my mom, well, my dad did too, but that was her parents who really loved musicals. So she would play standards around the house. And I think because of that, after you hear I Got Rhythm about five times, you kind of know it. And so there's a hook there that the sixth time you're like, oh, I know where this is going and I like it, you know. And then when you hear someone else do their version of I Got Rhythm, then you can you feel like you're a part of it as opposed to um, having to work as hard. And I think as a younger child, that was fun to share something with my grandparents and my parents on that level. Um, to be like in the know in this type of music. <laughs> I think when I got to middle school, definitely high school, then I started pushing into uh, Sondheim and more contemporary things. Um, I used to, <laughs> while I was bringing the noise, bringing the funk was a just like this huge explosion of what tap could be on Broadway. And so while I was doing my homework, I would just listen to that soundtrack. That was one where I was just like, I want to, I want to hear, I want to like take all of that in and I remember sitting at the big computer just like writing and just listening to bringing the noise bringing the funk because it was just there's so much there there's so many levels um, in the history of the music and the history of the dance and the way they put it all together it was just amazing so I think growing up it's returning to classic uh, golden age musicals always kind of feels like home because that's kind of where I started yeah. so. And how did you end up at Ithaca? Um, well, I auditioned at a few places, <clears throat> but um, if I'm being completely honest, Ithaca offered me um, the, the most money. Yeah. And so my dad <laughs> basically pulled me aside and he was like, listen, if you want to go for musical theater, we will support you. But like that, that's going to be like, that's the place because, you know, they're giving you a, a grant and it's, it's, you know, it's a good school. It's, but um, yeah, that's pretty much that. <laughs> and then what was your journey after graduating and moving to the city and finding a place and trying to get an agent and all, and all that? I 
after I graduated, um, it's a funny story. I'll try to keep it (laughs) short because it can be a long story. I had a choice. I could go to um, move to New York City with the money that I saved from a summer job, or I could go to Europe for a month with a friend. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Europe, which I do not regret. But then I returned from Europe without any money. So I moved back in with my parents. Mm -hmm. And um, I had two friends from my original dance school on the non-equity tour of 42nd Street. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, I was uh, <clears throat> I was so broke that I was like, I'll take any job. So I was delivering telephone books. Oh, wow. Like that, that seems like something from a golden age musical that yeah, you don't believe now. You know, well, why don't you go deliver telephone books? <laughs> you know, like uh, pull yourself up from the bootstraps and deliver telephone books. It just seems outlandish, but there I was, you know, driving in my dad's van, delivering telephone books. <laughs> and so then I was upset because I wasn't actually doing what I wanted to do. And my my mom said, well, why don't you just call uh, Justin and Jenny and tell them that, you know, you want to be a part of 42nd Street. And I was like, mom, that's not, that's not how it works. She was like, just call them. And I was like, okay. So I called them and my friend Justin said, well, we don't need anybody now, but I think in the new year, some people are changing over. So why don't you send your headshot and resume in? We'll recommend you. And so I did. And then a week later, Justin called me. He said, somebody just got fired. Our mm-hmm. Billy Lawler just got fired. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so he said, call uh, the casting director. So I called the casting director and I said, listen, sent my headshot and resume in. Just want to check that you got it. And I'd really love to be a part of it. And he said, oh, yeah, we're looking for people that have done the show before, because (laughs) by that time, it was like six years. Like that's when for the revival, it was like the 2001 revival or whatever that was. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was the Randy Skinner revival. And. But like it had been a tour, it had gone through the the equity. By the, way, tour. the first person that I interviewed for the series was Meredith Patterson. So Forty mm. Second Street connection there. I love it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it had already been like it had been on Broadway. It had done the national tour, and now this was like the very end of it. So there were a lot of people that knew this show. And the casting director said, "Listen, we're looking for somebody that already knows the show. But if we can't find somebody, we'll hire you." And I was like, uh, "Oh." Okay. Like, like sight uh, unseen, they were right. going to hire you. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is like before the days of everybody being able to self tape really easily. And Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that this guy had my headshot and resume and recommendations from my friends. Yeah. That was it. And <laughs> so he said, I'll call you Friday and let you know. So I was like, okay. So, <laughs> uh, he called me Friday and he said, do you want to go on tour? Wow. And so Monday I was delivering telephone books. And then like that a week later, I was on a flight out to uh, California to join the national tour of 42nd Street. So my mother was correct. Just call and they'll let you in the show. That's the secret. <laughs> They're not telling you in school. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm assuming from there you saved up your money. You got a place when you came back to New York and then you just started the grind. Yeah, I... A lot of the connections at first that I made were from community theater. Um, there was a guy who, uh, so Michael O'Flaherty, who was the um, musical director at Goodspeed Opera House, he's from my hometown. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> a friend that he grew up with at Genesius Theater, mm-hmm. he recommended that I audition and he kind of, you know, 
got my foot in the door for because they were doing Singing in the Rain. And so I auditioned for Singing in the Rain, and I think it was a combination of Michael O'Flaherty saying, hey, that, that guy, and also being able to dance and do what they needed to do. Then I got uh, Singing in the Rain at good speed, <laughs> and then they I, I describe my career as wearing people down <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I, you, if you give me a chance, I will be like the bad penny that keeps turning up. I will email you. I will be like, hey, I'm in town. I'll, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, then after that, I still wasn't living in the city, mm -hmm. but they needed somebody for their next show because they had somebody else drop out of that show. So I did two shows at good speed back to back. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then I moved to New York and I just <laughs> started grinding. And that's actually how... Um, I got an agent, somebody at Goodspeed um, in the cast of Sing in the Rain said, oh yeah, you should, you need an agent. Uh, my agent is coming. Why don't you meet him? Yes. And um, yeah, and that's how that happened. And did you get your equity card from Goodspeed or were you still non-union at this point? I was still non-union. And then I actually worked at the Fulton Opera House mm -hmm. and I did Oliver there. And that's when I got my equity card. It was actually that Hol that was their holiday show yeah. so it was that holiday season after singing in the rain and uh high button shoes that i went down to do oliver who'd you play in oliver <laughs> artful dodger yes yeah. the director so the director <laughs> was like no, no no we're gonna do it a different way like he's like a teenager He's not going to be a cute, like yeah. he's kind of Fagan's protege. I've seen it done like that. It actually can work yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so that was fun. But whenever I say that, everyone goes, how, how old were you? And I was like, oh, I was like 22. <laughs> I played Dodger when I, I kid you not, I was four years old at like a little preschool camp and they were doing like a little after school, like, let's do Oliver and like. Who, who's there? And they go down. Everybody like wants to play Oliver. And people like, oh, I don't know why this is the show they chose for like four year olds. And I'm like, I want to play Dodger. And that was the only yeah. one. So it's oh it's my a God. great role. It's, it's so a great role. Yeah. Well, so the thing I want to throw out for all of my listeners at home is the the aspect to the story that's important to keep in mind is that you're extraordinarily talented. So mm -hmm. like when people would get recommendations okay. and they would hire you, you could deliver. <laughs> like you showed up and you were really good at what you did. So Thank you. I think that's important for everybody to also keep in mind. Um, <laughs> so now you're in the city and what are, and you have an agent. What are you doing yes. now? Um, I think it's just kind of auditioning, um, <laughs> taking a uh, dance class, uh, mm -hmm. finding a, um, a vocal coach, things like that. Um, and right now yeah. we're now at like, are we around like 2006 or so at this point? That would be by this time. This is, I moved to the city in 2007, the end of okay. 2007. And, um, yeah. And then I did a few i went back to uh the ithaca area mm -hmm. i did uh merry-go-round playhouse a few more times i did um the hangar theater in ithaca <laughs> um and at this and point on broadway there's not a lot of golden age stuff that's going on i mean we're we're talking the era now of like the spring awakenings and whatnot and right. i'm trying to think there was nice work if you could get it Mm -hmm. There was the Anything Goes revival a few years later. Yeah. Um, but 
we're kind of going into like the era of lack of tap on Broadway. So right. what what was that like to have this wonderful niche that you love so much and then you finally kind of you have an agent, you have your equity card, you have these great credits and you're now hitting the pavement and there's not necessarily that many opportunities for your niche on Broadway. Right. Well, I think <clears throat> honestly, when being a young actor, I believed that I could do anything, that I, yeah. I didn't have a type. <laughs> and I think it, it takes a little bit to realize no matter how uh, versatile you are or you know, a wonderful actor or singer or dancer or whatever, you have, there is a type, there is a, you know, but I think at the beginning, I didn't believe that. So I was you like, no, I'm not. You can't you know. do other things because I've seen you do very different things and you're equally extraordinary. So you right. can't do lots of stuff, but with needing to get your foot in the door, your typing is, is always a, a frustrating, exactly. difficult thing that we all must deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. Did you so, go anything that you felt you were wildly wrong for? Oh, gosh. I feel like nothing's... Uh, I remember the feeling. <laughs> I forget exactly what it was. But um, yeah, there were a few things that I was like, what am I, what am I doing here? <laughs> like specifically, well, this is just a few years ago, but like because uh, I'm at a different uh, part in my career now where like you would come in and they'd be like, okay, we need ballet dancers who tumble. And it's right. like, I don't, I don't really do that. I never tumbled and I kind of did ballet. Yeah. So I'm, you know, you don't want me. Like there are so many other people that you want, you know, I'll try it, but like, yeah. you know, <laughs> if you have a character role that does that, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, yeah, at the time, I think it was, uh, it was a little frustrating. The only thing I remember that had tap in it was Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I am absolutely good. Because I, I remember getting like the actual paper backstage and seeing that breakdown for, um, oh gosh, the groom. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, tap dance, you know, golden age and all this stuff. And then it said roller skating. And I was like, I don't, I don't roller skate. But my friend Jeremy was like, no, you'll be great. Come on, go in. That's how you're like, like, yes, I've been roller skating. I'm, I'm national champion roller skater. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, but that's the one where I, I vividly remember like, oh, this is something that's right up my alley that I could like do. It's the, it's the thing that was the closest to me at that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember auditioning for Anything Goes, uh, uh, for all those, just didn't, I wasn't what they were looking for at the time. Has it ever been um, a challenge, the fact that you look so young? Like, I feel like you're never going to look older than being in your 20s, like your entire life. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think there is, uh, that it, it is a little hard to get that boyish feeling off mm -hmm. and be like, oh, you're a, you're a leading man now, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and I've, I've played leading men, but it's, there is definitely like, you know, I don't know, there is a difference finding that how you get to that 
level of no no i can i can play the leading man it's just going to be you know a younger leading man or or like the uh the the comedy leading man you know that kind of thing crazy for you and things like that um, is there a role that you've always wanted to play that you haven't had a chance to do yet i would love well two and they're, it's funny they're both song time uh i'd love to play the baker and into the woods oh you'd be great as the baker i'd love to play that and uh uh george and sunday in the park with george you'd be great as uh, too yeah, those are two, um, and I think it's because I've always, I, I haven't worked in contemporary musical theater or, yeah, contemporary musical theater as much as I'd like to. And it's a, a muscle that I kind of worked in college and I've worked a few times, but it just seems so, so fun and challenging and exciting. Um, what drew you to parallel exit or how did that all happen? Because I'd also like to preference for all our listeners, um, when Danny talks about clowning, I feel like unfortunate. I feel like I'm like the Herald in New York. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of people tend to think of like birthday party clowns and whatnot, sure. which is great. Um, but Danny is part of the premier physical comedy company in New York City, and I would argue possibly North America. Um, but that, but the physical comedy based on Buster Keaton and Chaplin, and I would also argue the kind of physical comedy that does occur in Golden Age musical theater, um, just not always with singing and dancing, although you do dance with Parallel Exit as well. But how did that connection come about? So I was doing, I think it was 2008, 2008 or 2009 that I was, no, it was 2008, <laughs> that I was doing White Christmas at Theater Under the Stars in Texas. Mm -hmm. And another company member, uh, Brent Macbeth, yeah he was in it too we were both in the ensemble <clears throat> and we'd be backstage just silently making each other laugh with like just stupid like oh i dropped my hat now he dropped his hat let me get your hat you get my hat and then we drop just silly things and he we became fast friends and he said i think i'm part of a company that i think you'd be really good for mm -hmm. and so they had and because part of parallel exits um like you said um their arsenal of of um, virtuosity is that they uh, tap dance a lot. They use tap dance and dance uh, usually in comedic ways. And so because I tap danced, he said, you know, I'm going to keep you in mind. Um, so uh, if we need a replacement or whatever. And the one time they did, they were doing a, a show <laughs> called Exit Stage Left at, um, uh, I think. Victory? Was that when they did it at New Victory? No, um, that was, it was like, uh, I think it was at King's College or something. It was like oh. at a college. It was very like last minute. Ryan Kasperzak, uh, who's another company mm -hmm. member, he got another gig and they were like, yeah. we have a week. We need somebody like trial by fire. You need to do this. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. And so um, I did that. And uh, because I was kind of a quick study and I was able to uh, learn their type of comedy pretty quickly. Um, they kind of kept me on as a replacement, as a, a, a secondary. And then uh, Ryan got Annie on Broadway, and that's when they were doing Time Step at the New Victory. Yeah. And so they asked me to fill in for him um, fully. And after that, they asked me to be a company member. Um, and then we've created um, shows together. We created... Um, uh, Room 17B, Everybody Gets Cake, um, multiple other shows that are still kind of in process, but things like that. But um, yeah, so that's how it was 
it, it was kind of through tap dance, but the love of comedy and physical comedy has always kind of been with me. Um, and so it's fun to be able to flex that muscle. Can you talk a little bit about being a company member in a company? Because um, that was a weird sentence, but kind of outside of the, you know, dance world of like ballet or contemporary dance, the idea of being in a company is something that's so inherent in the history of theater and yet doesn't really happen very much anymore where yeah. it's, it's like, I grew up in a rep company, so I adore it and have come to realize that it's a very rare thing to find. But what's that process been like for you where there's like a small number of people, then you're basically all a part of creating everything you do and doing every show you do with, you know, a few exceptions here and there, but what's that been yeah. like for you? I, I love it. When, when I, <clears throat> when they first asked me to be a, a member, I was ecstatic because I never had that kind of group especially in like a, a, a comedy kind of sense. <laughs> and the great thing about being in that company is that after a year, two years, you start to know, um, uh, I guess it's a double-edged sword, but you start to know like w where people will land in respect of like, oh, I can trust, uh, I can trust all of them, but he's always kind of going to be, um, lowbrow and i so then i have to be highbrow and so for example joel is usually like the um the, the clown in charge he's kind of the angry clown that you know and we get to be the goofballs but then when you start taking joel out of the picture then it's kind of like oh ryan is even more a goofball so then i have to take on you know the highbrow kind of thing and mm -hmm. and so it's fun to be able to interchange like that and to see well this is where you would naturally go but today we're going to switch that and now you're going to be on top i'm going to be on bottom and it's uh it's so fun also then to know how people create mm -hmm. because we create our own shows <laughs> and we don't usually take you know like standard material like we don't you know, take a, a musical or a play and then interpret it ourselves. We're creating it. It's fun to be able to say, to be in that room and trust these people so much that yeah. you can bring out bad ideas. Yeah. And it does, you can fail in front of each other. Um, and that's so wonderful. That is a, 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 an aspect that I would not trade. That's the thing that I feel like finally brought me into my own as an actor is I, I realized that I'd been in situation, like it was like school and whatnot. In an ideal world, you end up with a wonderful group who you trust and all that. But I realized that I had spent so much time in groups of people that I didn't fully trust that when I found myself in a show where there was that trust and we could all fail safely, that that's what finally allowed me to take chances and commit to things that I wouldn't necessarily have done before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, how do you balance in a situation like that? How do you balance knowing what your niche is and what you do well in relation to everybody else with wanting to challenge yourself and not just fall into a rut? I think it's uh, you, it has to be a very conscious thing <laughs> because if you're, if you're also the one who always, you know, if you're always lowbrow or whatever, you you have to be able to know that first of all and then secondly if you want to try something new you have to be the advocate to say listen i know this is the way i usually am but 
I want to try this this time. I want to try something a little more experimental. I want to try, uh, I want to, what if Joel was, you know, the guy who was goofy this time and I was the one who was angry or whatever. Um, but you have to be that advocate because it is easy to fall into your, your uh, normal roles. Um, so, but the great thing about um, Parallelegs, I don't know if all companies like this, but they are very, uh, they're willing to go there. They're willing to be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, let's try it. Um, which is so exciting and rewarding to be able to be a part of something like that. What's it like going back and forth from an environment like that to, you know, very standard musical theater where even if you have a great collaborative director, the actors are not usually very much a part of the, the creation process. You know, I feel like, especially in the dance world, but in musical theater in general, we're kind of trained you know, you do what the director tells you and great if you have an idea now and again, but in general, you do what the director tells you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How is, how is it for you going back and forth between those two worlds? I, I love it. And I try to seek it out because I think it's almost like I've been looking for an analogy for this. Um, it's almost like, this is such a weird analogy. This is my analogy for it today. <laughs> it's almost like, building um uh, uh what is it a ship in a bottle mm -hmm. so with parallel exit with creating your own works it's like someone is like yeah there's a bunch of wood there there's a glass bottle just do it and you're the one with everyone else who has to painstakingly take these pieces and get it into the bottle yeah and you have to do everything yourself as opposed to like musical theater or or a show at a regional theater broadway the bottle is the bottle and the ship is kind of given to you and you have one task they're like you're gonna paint the flags that's all you're gonna do but you're gonna paint those flags so well mm -hmm. that um you are the flag painter no one else can be the flag painter and so you have to painstakingly get that little brushing mm -hmm. and i think either way <laughs> makes you a better artist because when when i'm with parallel exit you have to set your own props and if you don't set your props your props aren't going to be there yeah. you know we have a stage manager sometimes <laughs> um but the stage manager has her own like we would go into a venue and she'd be like okay i have to set lights with tech i have to put down the uh the marks i have to do all this stuff you guys have to be uh responsible for your your props and so you have to do that. Whereas in, um, and you have to get your costume ready. You got to like bring your costume. You got to, you know, as opposed to um, in a larger show, you know, your responsibility is to perform and you don't have to worry about making the set or setting your props or creating the props or creating the, um, uh, the actual stuff that you're going to be working on. Um, and either way, I actually love either way, but the beautiful part that I've, been very lucky to be able to do is ping pong back and forth because you get to um uh appreciate each one that much more than when you're when you're doing it and when you're not doing it yeah and i i kind of wish that that mentality could be added to the mentality of a lot of commercial casting directors and directors out there because um I remember because I've I've collaborated with Joel um, for a while, and it was interesting. The first thing that we we worked on together, you know, most often when you're writing like a commercial piece of theater, 
you kind of come up with the characters and then later you're going to go find the people that like fit that. And Joel and I sat down and Joel's sort of immediate thing was, well, I sort of have in my mind, like a, a, a conglomeration of people and this person does this really well. And this person does this. So we could like write those in and those could, and, and it created this whole other way of creating the piece. Um, and it also, in, I think encourages not just having an idea of a type that you want and then going and finding that type, but being able to look at human beings as unique and wonderful and special and how can we use them in a unique way. And I think the meeting of those two things could, could be very helpful in, in different situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So then how did you get your big Broadway break? So when I first moved to New York, uh, everybody would tell me, you have to be a Randy Skinner dancer. He's going to yeah. love your style. He's going to love your look. <laughs> you have to audition for him. And I would audition for White Christmas. I think I did it three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And I got cut uh, after the first dance call each time. Seriously, wow. And I just couldn't, you know, get his him to... Is, his stuff is hard. I'm not, not meaning that it was too hard, but I'm just thinking back to all the classes I've taken with Randy and. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he has such a wonderful eye in the style. Like his style is so specific um, that I had to start taking class. I started taking his uh, a theater dance class, but then it's also tap class. And I started learning uh, his style a little more, but then also I, after class, I would go up and say, hey, Randy, good to see you. And then eventually he learned who I was and um, that was a huge part. And so he, uh, when they were auditioning for Lady Be Good at Encores, he kind of fought for me Mm -hmm. to, um, to get the role. He was the choreographer and um, and he actually, uh, the director wasn't sure which way to go with the, the lead role. And Randy said, well, why don't you just have another work session with him? Mm-hmm. And so I was actually in rehearsals for White Christmas, the tour at the time. Mm-hmm. And on our lunch break from White Christmas, I went over on an audition for Lady Be Good. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> it was that, it was basically a huge part of it was Randy being such a, a cheerleader for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I got uh, White Christmas. I was uh, I, I played the non-dancing, non-singing role, Mike Nolte. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was a character role. And I was like, oh, oh, sure. If you want to pay me for that, sure. That would be fun. <laughs> um, uh, and so I did that. And then I got Lady Be Good um, right after that. And those are both Randy shows. And then after that, by that point, he saw that I was you know, he could trust me with his, uh, with his work. And then later that year, uh, they did, um, the, uh, well, it was, some people say it was a revival, but, uh, Dames at Sea was never on Broadway. Yeah. So it was really the, you know, the debut. It also has been like many years since it was on kind of in any capacity. So. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so that's it was a lot of it was Randy believing in me. He was he was the director and choreographer of Dames at Sea, and so um, yeah, he just was a big fan of mine, and I'm uh, always very much grateful for him believing in me and giving me that chance. So for all those people, I feel like tap and golden age stuff has become less and either less and less a part 
of training programs or there's a generation of teachers that that's kind of all they do and they kind of look down at like rock musicals um but all that's to say i feel like the younger people that are coming up don't really pay attention to it as much as maybe it would be great to and you know tap is kind of disappearing is one of the big things that you need to do like i i know so many people that are like oh i, I don't have time for my tap classes anymore i got to get into contemporary because of all the you know all that stuff and whatnot so what would you what would your sort of like i don't know argument be for why it needs to be continued to be emphasized in training programs um, for young people wanting to come into musical theater not just tap but also golden age in that specific style and you know not just i, I feel like there's there's a, a, an idea that if you can sort of just stand on stage and, and belt a rock song that that's kind of all you need these days right <laughs> yeah. i think um i think in golden age musicals i think there is the history of how it developed mm -hmm. um, i mean if you look at lady be good that was literally <clears throat> they were taking things from vaudeville Right. And, and burlesque and literally just like taking that and putting it there. And it's amazing how the American musical kind of combined all these art forms, operetta, vaudeville, burlesque, and it created this thing where there's an actual plot. There's a through line of all these things. And I think going through, like actually being in those helps you recognize oh that's how it was developed and that's we're standing on their shoulders mm -hmm. um and even comedically wise you know you can look at <laughs> the the thing that i will say that and people are doing very very they're starting to do it in a smart way is they were written at a different time so when i think of anything i was going to ask you about that yeah when i think of anything goes i think there can be some big problems with it mm -hmm. and i think um I'm not uh, the higher ups that own the rights to it. So I don't know how they feel about changing it or making it contemporary, but I think it needs to be dealt with because if it's not, I feel like it will just die out, you know? Um, but that being said, I think there are beautiful stories and ways of um, doing the shows that everyone can enjoy in a contemporary way. Um, but I think there's there's a lot to gain from doing it because some, sometimes in older shows, the material seems um, trite. It can seem um, <clears throat> boring or simplistic, but that doesn't mean you can just do it that way. You as the performer, it's such a beautiful challenge to be able to take this simplistic scene that goes directly into a song. How do you do that in a contemporary way and get people to believe you? Mm -hmm. You know, that in itself is a, I think can be a challenge. And um, and I think by doing that, you learn, you're, you're only helping your craft. Um, as with tap dance, I think <laughs> tap dance on a very basic level, um, helps, I mean, it's kind of a, a silly thing to say, but it helps uh, rhythm. You know, mm -hmm. you become a rhythmic performer uh, more so when you tap dance because there's, there's a relationship you have to start to gain as a tap dancer with music that I don't think um, happens 
or may not happen in contemporary or ballet or things like that. There's a different relationship because you are part of the band. You know, tap dance was they jazz bands used to travel with tap dancers. It was a real part of the music. And to know that and to carry that into all the other dance forms, I think is so helpful. What um, what's your secret for when you approach acting a role in a show like that? Because I think when you were talking about that it can stereotypically be viewed as a little trite sometimes. And I think along with that, sometimes you get the stereotype of the trite musical theater performer. And one of the things that I really love about your performances is um, you're such a wonderful actor and you bring so much depth to everything you do and honesty that feels very period appropriate, but also very truthful. And it's not something that I see all the time in those shows. So what, how, how did you start doing that? How did you get so good at that? And why do you think that that's not always the case for everybody? Um, I think there's something in college, I think it might've been um, uh, Michael Chekhov mm -hmm. in his acting book. I feel like he was the one, or was it Robert Cohen? I don't know. But one of them said, you can never judge the material. Yeah. It's not about, as in, if you're given a role and right away you're like, oh, we're doing Oklahoma. Okay, well, it's gonna be an uphill battle. Like you, you can't, as, as an artist, I think judging the material is, is, can be really deadly. And so I like to, like for example, <laughs> I did uh, at, um, <clears throat> I did Cats at the Hangar Theater. Did you play Cats? Uh, I was uh, Mungo Jerry. Yes. And yes. it was not the original choreography, um, but but I I was like, well, that's my summer gig. I was in, I was studying in London and I got cast in it. And I was like, oh man, I have to do cats. I have to do cats this summer. Did and you I was like abroad when you were in college? Yes, I started abroad when I was in college. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and the way that I think I have to work for myself is find a way in that is truthful to you, to you. And so I was like, okay, I love history. I love to do research. And so I was like, let's do it. Let's go back to um, uh, uh, T.S. Eliot. Let's do it. And I read all the poems and I tried to be like I did. I looked for the research about how Cats was developed. Some of that did not help at all. But, <laughs> but at some point, because at one point, Andrew Lloyd Webber just said, no, it's it's about cats. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a famous quote that, and so that did not help me as how I wanted to do it. And um, I, so I had to find my own way in that inspired me. Um, and in the same with, uh, you know, finding like reading uh, autobiographies. I read when I was doing, um, um, oh, when I did Oklahoma, if you can believe this, I played Allie Hackham. Uh, but, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting production, but, um, but I, I, I read green look, grow the lilacs, you know, that I love knowing where it comes from and you can have what you can feel however you want about the, um, what you're going to do. But if you can't find your way in and make it honest and have some kind of foundation of, I can go back to that. I feel good about T.S. Eliot's poems. I feel good about Green Grows the Lilacs and where it was at that point and trying to understand the people 
at the time, you know, how revolutionary it was at the time, uh, always gets me excited. And then I have something to, to go off of. And, and in a way, it makes it more realistic. Did you do much studying of like straight acting? Um, because I find that that's also something that goes by the wayside in a lot of musical theater programs, because there's so much, like, we, we got to sing and we got to do all these dance styles and uh, you can sort of fake the acting a little bit. Um, but was that yeah. part of your training? That's one of the reasons I actually really liked, uh, I chose to go to Ithaca besides them giving me money. Was that <laughs> they had independent acting classes, like you had to do specific acting and they, I had really great acting professors there. Um, they were very honest with me and I think it was really helpful. Um, they, uh, there were, uh, some of it was Meisner, some of it was very, and I seem to go back to that, but the, the material that they gave us, like, you know, Michael Chekhov, Robert Cohen, things like that. Um, and Meisner, I think it really made me, um, approach acting in a different way. And because I'd never studied it, like mm -hmm. when I was growing up, I had voice lessons, I had dance lessons, but I had never had acting. So I was almost like, oh, I, I want this. I want to know what this is about. I think having that hunger really helped me get into to that. So I was kind of a, uh, uh, or I kind of knew, thought I knew what I was doing with singing and dancing. So acting, I was like, yes, give me everything. And that I think really helped. And like I said, they were, they were honest. Like when we, you know, we had, uh, uh, um, they call it, well, they're not called juries up there, but we had juries every, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, every, we had three, our, no, two our freshman year and then three our sophomore year. And if you make the last one, then you're like in the program. But I had, there were a few people who like, went to their last um, jury and they didn't get it. And they were yeah. like, thrown out of the BFA program, yeah. um, which is just crazy. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but they were, they would be honest with me. They were like, we didn't believe you. Like you, you know, you need to go, you need to go back and you need to woodshed that and really figure out how you get into that. Um, Did so, you do monologues for your initial audition to get into the school? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and going back to something you touched on, um, there's been a lot of talk recently about certain older shows having a lot of issues in our contemporary society. And I mean, I was just thinking about Good News is a show that is very near and dear to my heart and just realizing like it's a hundred years old now. Oh, uh, yeah. Basically. I mean, give or take like a little bit, but it's basically a hundred years now. We're, we're kind of coming up on the hundredth anniversary of some of these pieces. And what are what are your thoughts because i i mean i've heard people be like don't ever do showboat again and don't ever do this again and they're antiquated and they're inappropriate and they're hurtful and with without obviously being somebody who runs one of these estates who can make decisions about changing the material what are your feelings about reviving them or if you're cast in a piece that's questionable um, in certain ways, I, I guess just how, sort of how do you feel about the genre um, in our current day and age? Um, I really, uh, I really go back and forth about this. <clears throat> when I, 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 it's really hard. It's really hard because I, I love some of these musicals, but you know, anything goes. 
man, you got to cut, you got to cut stuff. Like I just, it was written in a different time. It's and, a, it was a big issue when that was revived too recently. Yeah. 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 And I, I think I saw, I saw the revival of Carousel and while it was beautiful and it was beautifully choreographed and beautifully staged and the, the, the acting and singing was spectacular, mm -hmm. I thought, I just don't know. My biggest thing is that <clears throat> if young children, if a young girl or a young boy sees this and they see us clapping for a show mm -hmm. where a woman gets hit and abused, regardless of, are they at a place where they can be like, oh, well, right. that was a different time. Yeah. That, we're not, you know, I just worry so much, like my nieces, like, well, what, what would they think? What would my, you know, nephews think? And so I, I, I wish I had an answer because I think there is something beautiful about them. They were, they're obviously part of the musical theater canon and, you know, they broke big, broke boundaries and, you know, there were all these beautiful things, but in my most revolutionary days, I'm just like, burn it down and let's create new stuff. And I hate to say that, but I, I there is like, if we can't, if we can't like change it or do it in a contemporary way, then like, maybe it should be a museum piece. Maybe it should be a thing that it's like, well, that's how they created that, you know. Do you have any ideas for how we can be creating things that bring the best of that to today? Because you don't see a lot of new shows being written that have tap and have a certain kind of song and have just sort of a certain, I mean, the producers was kind of the big revolutionary one of like the golden age of musical theater is back and it's modern, but you know, you don't right. see, you don't see shows like that being written. And yet you see those kinds of shows being the most popular to do at regional theaters and whatnot. So, um, do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it can be like, for example, uh, right before we, uh, it shut down flying over sunset had a huge, mm -hmm. uh, not huge, but there was a, a tap dance component. <clears throat> and it's because the, the character, um, uh, Cary Grant, he uh, was a dancer in uh, vaudeville. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think he was a tap dancer. Uh, they were taking a little liberty with that, but there's this spectacular tap number that Tony does with his younger self. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Yesbeck does with his younger self. And it's this beautiful um, hearkening back to what it was like, but then it morphs into this LSD trip, like the, the show is about these four people doing LSD and it helping them uh, therapeutically back in the 60s. And um, I think it's a beautiful way to heighten, uh, tap dance can be a beautiful way to heighten reality because that's what it kind of does in that show. But the other thing that I love about Michelle Dorrance's choreography in that is that at the beginning of act two, there's this, component of um, the four main characters being haunted by their past and they're haunted by their past by actual like somebody's mother, somebody's sister, all these things. And at the beginning, I hope I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, but you know, <laughs> at the beginning of the second act, 
it starts out with these um, the ghosts walking out, and there's this rhythmic heartbeat to it, mm. and that's tap dance. That's there's they're, they're creating the rhythm for Act Two. They're starting it out by being like, "We're still here, and you're gonna dance to our beat because mm. you haven't dealt with what uh, you haven't dealt with us. You haven't dealt with your ghosts." Um, I think the other thing is it, tap specifically tap. I think it can be utilized in a lot of exciting ways that it hasn't been. Like for, if you look at um, the Scottsboro Boys. Oh my which, gosh, yes. I mean, that, that tap dance number in the electric chair was chilling. Yeah. Was that, and that was a beautiful way because the whole, that whole show, I know that had a lot of problems. There was a lot of people that did not enjoy that, but I, 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 I was sucked in and pulled away like the whole time. Yeah. And I haven't felt that way about a musical in a long time because it was so virtuosic. It was so like, these performers are amazing, but oh my God, what are they doing? Yeah. And that combination just was magical in a way um, because it did, we had to, we were trying to confront something that is part of our history you know that's just horrible um and so that's a way i think that can um that it can be contemporary why do you think it's not utilized as much as it could be i think sometimes well i think sometimes tap dance is looked at uh just fun and happy and i think it can be like that's like a majority of the time it is, you know, but then you have stuff like Billy Elliot where, you know, he has the angry dance where he's breaking down. And I think it, uh, it hasn't been explored. I think the uh, stereotype of tap dance is just like jazz hands and time steps. And there's nothing wrong with that as part of the history. But I think there is an earthiness to it. Um, that <laughs> actually in college, my friend Jeremy Pickard, who now he runs a ecological theater company. Mm. Uh, and I always wanted to do a, a modern retelling or a tap dance version of Oedipus because mm. when they took him and they, uh, they, because when they found out, when his parents found out they were going to sleep with the mother and kill the father, mm -hmm. they took him out and they left him for dead. Right. And they actually put, um, I think they like nailed his feet to a stake or something. Yeah. Yeah. As you do and, in Greek. Yeah. Stuff. As you do. Yeah. Um, but there's this thing of like these sore feet the whole time, these bloody feet, like he's been affected the way he walks and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what an interesting way, like what an interesting, um, relationship to the ground this character has. Yeah. You know? And um, so anyway, but I think there's, you know, there are heightened, heightened realities that we can add it in. But I think the stereotype of tap dance sometimes can be limiting. Yeah. And it's people like Michelle Dorrance that I think are really pushing the boundaries of what rhythm, because at the end of the day, it's just rhythm. You know, we, we carry, when I teach tap dance, I say we carry a whole drum set with us wherever we walk. We just don't know it, you know? And there's a rhythm to everything, you know, our heartbeat, the way we walk, the way we breathe, the crickets, like there's a plethora of rhythm. And all the tap dance for me is doing is giving notice to that rhythm and the way we walk. And um, so I think if we look at it, look at it in, in that way, um, I think it can be more 
uh, it can be explored more. But don't get me wrong, I love just a great tap number two, you know. Um, what, what advice would you give to people um, starting out who want to have a career like yours um, and want to get really good at all that stuff, but also all the other things that I, I briefly mentioned and have certainly been hinted at just in terms of your success in your career that aren't really taught at school about, you know, how do you, you know, show up and take over a role and, and deliver and how do you have the confidence to harassing people to cast you and, and, and whatnot? What would, you, what, what would your advice be to other people? Uh, well, I would say um, work really hard, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and, um, the other thing is like, be, <laughs> be nice. It seems like such a, a simple thing, but like being, being nice and genuine, I think is so, it can be, uh, a breath of fresh air, yeah. um, in the theater business sometimes. Uh, I know a lot of genuine people, but mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are trying to get ahead and there's nothing wrong with that, but knowing how to do that in a genuine way, you know, I think is, is good. You know, um, I think also staying curious and, uh, listening to your inner artist is always going to help. There's a lot of, or there can be a lot of downtime when you're performing, you know, in the before times, I don't know what it's going to be like in the after times, but in the before times before <laughs> COVID and all this other stuff, um, you know, you'd audition and then maybe you'd get a show, but you'd have a month where you were auditioning and not doing other things and maybe working a side gig. Let the inner artist create your own stuff. I mean, you are such a, a beautiful example of that. No, the amount of projects, the amount of projects you have and you do is just staggering. And it's amazing because I do, there's like no downtime, it seems, you yeah. know? But you're, I feel like you're being honest with your inner artist and being like, oh, she's hungry right now, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to feed it. And so going into, you know, I want to do a, a solo version of producers or I don't know, like something crazy. I would crazy. love to see you do that, <laughs> especially Ula and all of the little old ladies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think creating your own work is only going to help you in the long run because you learn about your creative process. You learn about how to create, like how do you write? And then that helps you bring someone else's words to, to life. Um, I think also, especially nowadays, like especially during the pandemic, so many people have gone online to cast things. And so getting your name out there with stuff, knowing being social media savvy, I hate to say that, but because I'm not as savvy as I'd like to be, but um, yeah, I think all of that, creating your own stuff, uh, being genuine and nice and um, yeah, giving into the hunger. Mm -hmm. It's okay not to like some things. Yeah. I think sometimes when I was growing up, it was like, well, you have to like all musicals and you have to like all different types of theater and you know, if you if you like Jacob and uh, 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 oh, no wait uh, Joseph oh my God yeah. Joseph in the uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat man you go into that you know there's people are always gonna love that somewhere you know if you love cats go into cats the last thing I'll say is don't be afraid to contact people 
mm-hmm. because no one, uh, Joe Calarco, who's, uh, who's written stuff, he's now at the Signature in DC, he went to Ithaca and he said this in a panel once. He said, no one is going to be upset getting an email from you saying, hey, I really like what you do. Yep. No yeah, one's ever this gonna... all the time. You have to ask people, ask nicely, but you have to yeah. ask people. Yeah. And it's as simple as like, hey, I saw your production or I saw this thing online or something like that. And it's like, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate what you do. I like this aspect of it. It rings to me true in this way. If you need someone to assist you, to help you with pre-production, all that stuff, I, I'm here. But then you have to follow up. There's people's lives get crazy. And so just following up and being like, hey, I'm still here, whatever. It's that has, you know been so uh, effective for me. What's been the most challenging thing about your career and what in your career are you the most proud of? I think the most challenging thing, I think, and I'm still figuring it out, is uh, work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was younger, there was this um wrong assumption that i don't know if i got it from my parents i don't know but like work uh is above all mm-hmm. so it's probably like, americans honestly. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely like if i would tell my like when i was younger when i would tell my mom like oh you know i'm not going to be able to come home for christmas she was like oh why not well i'm doing a show she was oh well okay like that would make her understand yeah but if i were to you know i but that always seemed to be above everything else. And I think that affected relationships. Mm-hmm. It can affect relationships in a negative way. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with being hungry and being, you know, uh, enthusiastic about what you do. But I think finding the time to turn off and then look at the relationships around you, I think is something I'm still learning. And I think, it is, it can be very important. Um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is, I think it's the fact that I have been able to go back and forth um, of, you know, being able to perform on Broadway, which was just fantastic. It was a dream come true. (laughs) But then also um, uh, doing small shows like, with parallel exit and creating work like that um you know traveling um to the middle east with a a tap company and things like that um Mm -hmm. the the many facets and starting to choreograph more Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the many facets has really uh i think that's what i'm most proud of and i I would love to explore that more, like keep pushing the boundaries of my type or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, that's your type. If there, if there was something you could like broadcast to all the casting directors and directors out there that you, that maybe they don't know about you, that you'd like them to know about you, what, what would you want them to know? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I guess, uh, well, yeah, this is a a long, this is a deep seated thing Mm -hmm. that I, because I've been tap dancing since I was five, I don't just tap dance. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's something that, and there's not like when you're first growing up and you're first doing what you do, you have to, it's almost like you have to pigeonhole yourself just to get through the door, just to get people to pay attention. Like I'm the tap dancer. You can trust me, you know? Right. And then at some point, you know, I, I like acting, I like singing. Um, and so I think being able to do those things, that's like a deep seated thing now that I'm trying to say, no, 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 I don't just tap dance. Um, and I like, I love contemporary theater. I really do. I love creating a role. I've done, <clears throat> I was doing a show for like four years and I started from when it was a uh, one act and then they did the second act and I was with it. I was playing this role. I would ad lib lines and then they'd write them down and they created a, a charm song with a tap dance just for me. And it was uh, this past season, I was going to come to off Broadway mm -hmm. and it just didn't work out for me to be a part of it. But creating that in a new musical and being in like the trenches with all these people creating something was amazing. So um, I love contemporary musical theater. And I'll go on record and say that you're, you're a phenomenal actor, like in, in any capacity. And I've seen you do straight stuff with no comedy or music or dance in it at all. And you're really, really good. So anybody out there who's looking to cast that as well, that's the thing it's, is I feel like you have to be a good actor in order to be good at comedy and music. Like if you're I, really good at those things, you have to be good at drama. Um, I, doesn't always work in reverse. Like a good dramatic actor can't necessarily do comedy, but you have to be a really good actor to do comedy well. So I wish more people would trust that and take a, a leap with that. And one I, last thing that's my favorite question to ask people is, is there a question that you've always wanted to be asked in an interview and never have been? Ooh. <laughs> um, you don't know. Nothing's springing to mind, but <clears throat> what? Oh, it's something's developing. Something's developing. Uh, <laughs> How, oh, th that'd be interesting. I don't know if I'd want this asked, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be interesting for other people to answer. Um, uh, how do you think your, oh, this is very therapeutic. How do you think your family dynamic affected your career? <laughs> and if you, you were gonna answer that, how would you, you can take a pass as well if you do not feel like going into anything, but how would you? <laughs> no. I think, um, I think, uh, being, I was a, a middle child and I think looking for attention was definitely a big part of growing up. Um, and I think that's maybe partially why I got into tap dance and stuff, but my brother and my sister all like performed. My brother went to Muhlenberg college for acting. My sister and I went to dance school together. Um, and so there was always like this performing aspect of us growing up. Um, but I think my, my parents also, um, my, my dad was always, uh, funny. He was always, I, I got a great sense of humor from him. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my mom loved to sing and she loved watching things. And, um, so I think 
just that there's a lot of combination to sibling dynamics and then parental dynamics that I think uh, definitely shaped and is still shaping, you know, um, my, <laughs> uh, my life and things like that. And um, yeah. Do, do your siblings do the same kind of performing that you do? Um, they, they did. My sister doesn't perform anymore, but she, um, uh, she would do the school shows and things like that. Um, my brother, uh, went to college for acting and then he went to, uh, Chicago and he was an, uh, actor in Chicago for a little bit. And then when he got married and had a child, he was like, I need something more consistent. And so now he's a, a resident carpenter at Yale rep. Oh, wow. So he works at Yale Rep, um, but a bunch of his friends from college actually moved up to New Haven. Some of them were from there and some of them, you know, moved up there and they have a theater company called Broken Umbrella. Oh, cool. And he performs, they create site specific work and they, uh, it's spectacle heavy and, um, but it's really, I've done a few performances with them. Uh, it's really fantastic. Cause again, it's kind of like this company that creates all this material themselves and they're responsible for the sets. They're responsible for the music. It's, it's really wonderful. So he does, um, he does that kind of acting, performing, but he's a wonderful singer and he, he, he was a tap dancer for a little bit. So um, yeah. And where can people find you online if they want to stalk you or cast you or watch yeah. your media? What's, what's your website? What are your social media handles and all that? My website is uh, Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, J, Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R, uh, dot com. So it's just Danny J. Gardner. And then um, my Instagram is at Oh man, I always forget it. I know, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> no, wait, let me find it. Okay. <laughs> I don't, it's funny. I don't really use Twitter that much. I realized I'm such a visual person. I, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, my Instagram is Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, J-G-N-Y-C. Yeah, so that's Instagram, and then if you if you look up, I think I, yeah, I have a fan page. <gasps> Hi, Kitty, who does not want to be here? Who came over here? What's your cat's name? Poppy. Poppy. Oh. Poppy, come say hi to Danny, and the viewers hi. at home. Hi. <laughs> she has like she's a very very long body and incredible flexibility, so we joke that she's a vagon of a dancer because she's <laughs> insane. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And you are also an incredible tap teacher and you've been yeah. teaching virtually. So I guess number one thing I'd recommend people to do to follow in your footsteps is to literally follow in your footsteps and go take some classes from you. Um, yeah. And you teach through steps, right? Through steps on Broadway? Yeah, I teach one class a week through steps and then I teach my own classes uh, just through Zoom. Um, right now they're $10. Um, and, uh, I have, I usually do advanced beginner and intermediate, but I do have a Vimeo page now where you can rent like beginner classes and past mm -hmm. classes that I've taught. And um, how does somebody reach out to find out how to take all those classes and whatnot? Uh, you can find it on my Instagram or, uh, Danny Gardner tap classes on Facebook. If you type that in, I have a specific page for that, that has, I update with all the classes coming up. Um, yeah. 
and everybody go, like, even if you don't think you're ever going to, I knew so many people in school who were like, well, I'm not a tapper. I'm never going to be called in for tap things or what, like you will, it's going to happen. And this is absolutely the safest way <laughs> to, to put your toe oh, yeah. in the water to do it. Cause if you don't want, Danny can't even see you. So <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's opened up this... very, very, very good teacher. So yeah. and very yeah. nice. So go take class from him. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anything, I was going to say anything coming up that you want to plug, but I don't know if there's anything coming up for any of us for like, um, civil wars over. Yeah. Right. Uh, I've been teaching. Yeah. I've been teaching tap, uh, oddly in the last like week I've, I've been kind of busy. I've been, uh, choreographing for this show joshua holden uh he's a great he was in avenue q uh he's an amazing puppeteer and uh a performer he has a show that's called the joyfully jolly jamboree that's going to be premiering next year it's kind of a a winter show that's just so joyful as it is in the title but i'm choreographing that which is so fun because i get to uh, be on the other side of the table and i'm finding it so rewarding i love it um and then I just shot a short film, if you can believe that. <laughs> uh, it's with David Gallo, who um, he's a designer. He, uh, yeah, he won. Uh, he won a Tony. He won an Emmy. He's but he developed this um, uh, a short film. Uh, it's a clown piece. It's a two-person clown piece that we actually shot last week uh, through the Creative Coalition. Um, if you don't know them, they're great. Um, uh, coalition, great company that uh, kind of tr tries to take the arts and chooses a topic to uh, kind of address in a creative way. And this one was uh, about obesity. And so it was a really interesting, interesting piece. I'm not sure when it's going to premiere, but um, that will sometime, you know, so look out for the Jolly Jamboree and it's called uh, Fat.Life. That's the movie. Do you know if your show is going to be coming back to Lincoln Center? Have they told you anything about that? As of now, it is. Um, yeah. So whenever we, uh, sometimes we have Zooms, everybody gets together and just checks in with everybody. Um, and they seem very uh, um, adamant about bringing it back. So uh, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, they said summer, uh, fall, we might start rehearsing summer and then actually start previews fall but um yeah i i hope so i hope so well everybody go check out danny's website and there's wonderful clips that will make you smile and laugh which i think is very important right now we could all use some some things to make us smile and go take dance class from him and um thank you again so much for thank you your expertise 